Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, nice to be inside, isn't it, when you hear the rain outside? Just so thunderous. Well, lovely to be here this morning. If you can open up in 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we begin. Um, I'm just going to pray before we begin. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll just pray. Dear Lord God, I just want to thank you, Lord, that we can open up your word together on a Sunday morning, gather together as your people, as your children, and we can hear more about you and discover more about you and be challenged and encouraged about you as we go into the week and month ahead. I just do pray, Lord, you'll encourage us now, Lord, and you'll speak into our hearts that it'll be you speaking through me, Lord, and not just me and my own ramblings. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work, Lord, and that you will speak into the hearts and minds of all of us who are here through your word. In your name, amen. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. But before we begin, I'd just like to say two words. Self-confidence and self-esteem. We've all heard those words, haven't we? It's been used a lot recently. Um, We've all heard of it. Perhaps many of us want it. It's something that the world says, just go and get it. Self-confidence, self-esteem. It's something that is talked about an awful lot and is brought into education now as well, that we're to teach children to have self-confidence and self-esteem and to have to be assertive and to go out there and to get what they want. Um, that's at the turn of the 20th century. The theories of self-esteem entered psychology. The words were kind of started to be used. By the 1960s, it was accepted in Western culture as a primary root of mental health. And now even if you just go onto Google and you look up motivational quotes, up pops up lots of quotes that are to do with having self-confidence and self-esteem. For example, Walt Disney was known to have said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Or Blake Lively says, the most beautiful thing you can wear is confidence. Or Venus Williams says, if you have to believe in yourself when no one else does, that makes you a winner right there. Or Ryan Gosling says, you can do whatever you really love to do, no matter what it is, you can do it. Or Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music says, I have confidence and confidence alone in her song. And so that's what we are taught all the time as we go out into schools and we go out into workplaces, is to have that self-confidence and self-esteem, confidence in yourself, confidence in who you are, that you can get out there and achieve whatever you want. But what about whenever life gets tough? What about whenever illness sets in or whenever there's a loss of a loved one? What about whenever there's abuse or bullying or job loss or financial instability or stress or anxiety that we all face day to day? What about whenever you go through betrayal or you're demoted in your job or your trust is broken with someone? That can ruin your self-confidence and self-esteem because our self-confidence and our self-esteem at the end of the day is rooted in pride pride as to who we are. And whenever that image of ourselves is broken in some way, that can break our self-esteem. So what about Paul? Paul went through countless beatings in the Bible, often near to death. He was whipped five times and three times with rods. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked three times. He went through pain, hunger, thirst, coldness, nakedness. He had many sleepless nights. And if you don't believe me, you can read his own list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
verse 23 to 29, where he goes through a list of all that he's gone through. His faith was mocked countless times, and yet he had confidence. But it wasn't self-confidence, and it wasn't self-esteem. His confidence was found somewhere else. You know, as he goes to write this letter in 2 Timothy, we discover that his friends have all deserted him now as well. This is the last letter that Paul writes in this prison. And you discover his friends, um, Phygelus and Hermogenes, if I'm saying it right, they, they had deserted him. They were Christians who then decided to turn away from Paul because they were, um, didn't want to be associated with someone who was in prison again in their minds. The churches that Paul founded, many of them now were being infiltrated by false teachers. So it looked to Paul perhaps that all his work was being undone as he was lying in that prison cell, that all those churches that he had founded were now having false teachers coming in and teaching all sorts of things that were incorrect and not adhering to the gospel. And he was in prison and he was facing a death sentence. And this death sentence as well, he was under Nero, who we all know the the history of Nero, and he wasn't someone who could be um, trifled with, and wasn't someone whose mind you could change. He wasn't the kind of person who would have a bit of grace or forgiveness one moment. So Paul knew that he was facing a death sentence. He thought that this, this could be the end. He's writing his last letter, and he's writing to his friend Timothy. And what's he going to write in this letter? Is he going to write about how he's totally given up? Is he going to say that all my work was for nothing? What does he write? Surely he has no confidence. What does he do? Well, he writes a letter of encouragement, which is amazing, because not only does he have encouragement, but he has encouragement to spare for his friend, Timothy. He writes a letter of deep-set confidence, but this confidence isn't found in himself. Here's what he writes. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, he esteemed Jesus Christ more than he esteemed himself. And the result was full of confidence, not confidence in himself, but confidence in God and confidence in Jesus Christ. So let's read the whole passage. I'm going to read from verse 8 to verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and of which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's an amazing passage because we've just painted a picture of the life that Paul has been living. But what preserves Paul from sinking is this 
sweet persuasion of knowing Christ. In verse 12, he says, For I know whom I have believed. That's amazing. I know whom I have believed. It's personal. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I know what I have believed, whilst Paul did know what he believed in Christ. It doesn't even say, I know when I believed, though I'm sure he did. It doesn't say, I know how much I believed. It doesn't even say, I know in whom I believed. It goes even closer still. It says, I know whom I have believed. It's so personal. It's so close. He knows God himself. He knows Jesus Christ himself. It's closer still. And it's that personal connection that we can have with Jesus Christ as well. He knows him. He knows Jesus Christ. He knows him in his Godhead. He knows him in his birth, in the birth of Jesus Christ. He knows him in his life. He knows him in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. He knows Jesus Christ in his character, in his love, and in his power, and in his immutability, and his faithfulness, as we were singing this morning, how he is faithful. He knows him to be omnipresent, omniscient. He knows Jesus Christ in all those things. You know, some people know a lot of things. Some people are very intelligent and are very academic. But if they don't know Christ, it doesn't really count for much. Some people know little else but Christ. But if they know him, that's all that matters. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. And that's where he feels safe and secure in knowing Jesus as his own, to have that personal relationship with him. And he's safe in knowing him. You know, what baffles me is with the Roman Catholic, you know, Catholicism, Roman Catholic religion, is that you can trust in a priest with your soul. And that's just as amazing to me, because if you went up to someone and said, okay, you trust that priest with your soul, well, why not trust him with all your money as well? And why not trust him with your children when you're at it? They might not they might say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to trust him with all my money and my family. I wouldn't do that. Well, then why would you trust him with your soul, which is infinitely more valuable? We have something so precious, so valuable, our souls, and we can trust that to Jesus Christ. We trust all we have to him. Paul did that. He trusted in Jesus Christ with all of himself as he lay there in that dank, dark dungeon. He had hope and he had confidence in knowing Jesus Christ. He knew him through the word of God, of course, but he also met him face to face on the road to Damascus as Jesus met him in his glory and his wonder and his, his dazzling brightness, met Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, of course, he hasn't met us in that way, but we can meet him too. Have you met him? Have you really known him? Do you know him personally? It's not just more than, it's more than knowing him theologically and knowing him in the Bible and knowing how we can talk about him, but it's knowing him in that personal relationship where we've trusted in him and he is our savior and our Lord. Can you say that as well? Because that's what Paul could say about him, that he knew him that closely and that deeply. And he gathered all he could in his life about Jesus Christ. He gathered all the knowledge he could find about him. You know, he, he knew Luke pretty well. He knew Mark, Matthew. He knew John. He knew Peter. And he would have spoken to all these people and discovered more about Jesus Christ as well. So the more you know him, the more we can trust him. You know, as Christians, we know Jesus Christ. But how well do you know Jesus Christ? How well do you know God the Father and the Holy Spirit. How well do you know the Trinity? How well do you know the Godhead? How well do you know him? Because that's what he calls us to do, is to get to know him better and better. And the better we get to know him, the more and more we trust him, because he is altogether faithful. 
we can have that personal communion with Jesus Christ that Paul had with him. Even as he was lying in prison, he could pray to him. Sometimes we get so busy, don't we, with, with life, and we think, oh, didn't have much time to spend before the Word of God today, or didn't have much time for prayer today. We don't have any excuse. In fact, C.H. Spurgeon, and I, can't, I, can't, I don't have it written down, I just remember it, so I'll just paraphrase, but it's something along the lines of, he said, the busier, the busier you are, the more time you need to spend in prayer, because we need to go before God and cast upon him everything about our day. There's no excuse. There's no, there's no saying, oh, we've pushed him out of the way. He should come first and then let the rest of our day, you know, go before us with him as our guide throughout the day. Trust him in the way that we live and then we can experience his faithfulness. The more we trust him, the more we experience his goodness to us because we can see how he delivers us out of the storms. Whenever you trust him with things that, you know, otherwise your life could be a lot more comfortable. You might think if I just don't do this thing that I know I should or if I do do this thing that I know I shouldn't. But whenever we actually sacrificially give ourselves out to God and live for him in a daring and radical way, then we can see and know his faithfulness that he delivers us and he is good to us and he is faithful to us. You know, knowing Christ is like climbing a mountain. You know, if you're, you know very little perhaps when you're at the bottom of the mountain, you look up and then as you go up, you discover, oh, actually, I thought that was the top, but it's not. There's more. There's a, there's a valley, and then you can continue to go further. And you get to know the mountain more and more the more you climb it. And the higher up you get, the more you see the beauties of, of the nature all around you. And the more we get to know Jesus Christ, the more we see how beautiful he is. But it's knowing the power of Christ as well. What else does Paul say here in verse 12? Verse 12, by the way, I should say is our main focus. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, Paul says, that he is able. He is convinced that Jesus Christ is able. He is convinced in the power of Christ. You know, it's like entrusting your deposit to the bank. You know, if you have a, a money and sitting about in the house and you think it's not very safe, I don't want people going in and taking it, you put it in a bank, and there it's safe. Well, it should be, but there it's safer, I should say. But when we put our souls and our very lives in Jesus Christ, it is ultimately, completely, 100% safe. We put our, our, our souls as a deposit into him, trusting in the bank security. We can trust our soul to Christ. And the only reason not to trust the money into a bank, of course, would be if the bank was not solvent and there was some way that it was um, unsafe. And so the only reason we shouldn't trust in Jesus Christ is if there was some reason we thought he wasn't safe. But you hear so many people saying, oh, you know, but I, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a vile person. How could Jesus Christ accept me? What's that got to do with any of it? It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about how strong he is, not about how weak you are. In fact, whenever you go before a physician, the greater your illness, the more of an honor it is to that doctor that you've went to him or her because you've trusted that person with your illness. And so the more vile we are, the more of an honor it is to Jesus Christ that we've trusted in him and that he's the one we ask for help from. So it's about the power of Christ. And Jesus says himself, doesn't he? I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says in John chapter 10, or he says to his father, I have guarded them and none of them has been lost. If we're in the hands of Christ, if we're in the hands of God, no one can take us from there. He is able I love the fact that it says he is able because he's able right now. And as Paul was writing that, he was in prison and he could say, I know he is able. 
He's not just saying, oh, he was able, look how he looked and helped me throughout my life. He's saying, no, look to him who is able, he says, as he knows he's facing a death sentence. He trusts in Christ. And he trusts in the security of Christ as well. He says there in verse 12, I know whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Or the King James Version says, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, interesting, if you look at those two phrases, I'll say them again. The ESV and other versions say, guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then the King James and other versions say, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So it seems to be saying two different things. Um, The original, however, allows us to read it both ways. And so there seems to be a kind of a double meaning here. And both are very important for us to look at. So one is, I know he is able to keep my deposit. Um, So we'll look first of all at what it says here when it says, what I've committed unto him against that day, since we were looking at that already. Paul is entrusted to Christ, his soul, his life, everything that he has, like a deposit before Jesus Christ. And that's how we should value our souls as well, that we give it before Jesus Christ. As a sick man gives his hands, his whole life to the hands of a physician, we should give ourselves to Jesus Christ. But the question is, do you continue to commit your souls to him each day? You know, as a Christian, you say, well, yes, I trusted in him at this age. But each day, do you wake up in the morning and do you trust yourself before him? Do you look to the grace of God and ask yourself, you know, am I trusting in him today? Because even as Christians, it's important that each and every day we trust ourselves before him and show our trust by our actions. Just as a sheep follows the shepherd, the sheep has to follow the shepherd. Yes, the shepherd leads the way, but the sheep must follow. And so our faith must be a verb. It must be an action. We must be following him, showing our trust in him. Our confidence must be completely in him and not on ourselves. And that to me is a real challenge because how often am I truly, completely trusting in Jesus Christ and not just trusting in myself and in my own means of getting somewhere? You know, Paul said himself, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says that in Philippians, and he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he talks about how he was able to keep the law to the very tittle. And yet, he said, he realized that was totally useless. And he threw himself into the hands of God. And so we should do likewise. But there's more than that here. And as you see this verse and in the ESV, when it says, guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, we must ask ourselves, what has been entrusted to Paul? What is it that God has entrusted to Paul that he wants him to keep, but that God will ultimately keep no matter what happens. Because Paul's in this prison cell, and whatever God's entrusted to him, Paul could easily be thinking to himself, it's going to be lost. I'm in the prison cell. I could lose this thing. But he says, no, I know that he will guard what has been entrusted to me. And what's been entrusted to him is the gospel, is the word of God. And I'll show us where we can see that. In verse 11, we read, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So Paul was, was appointed by God to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the word of God. And we see here as well, he says in verse 12, I am not ashamed. What's he not ashamed of? He's not ashamed of the word of God. He's not ashamed of the gospel for which he was in chains. We see in verse 13, for example, he says, follow the pattern, he says to Timothy, of the sound words that you have heard from me, the word of God, which is sound and perfect and has no wrong. Or in verse 14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
guard the good deposit entrusted to you, he now says to Timothy. He's telling Timothy, you need to guard that word which has been entrusted to you. And so what God has entrusted to Paul is the word of God. And now as Paul is in the prison cell and he sees that his churches that he had founded are having false preachers and false teachers going into them, it could be easy for him to fear and think, all my work is being undone. The word of God is being untangled. The gospel is not going to be passed on to the next generation and it's going to be my fault and he can blame himself and blame others. But no, he says, no, this gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his gospel and he will keep it until that day, till the very end. I can trust in him. And so he says, says to Timothy, therefore, pass on the message and don't change it one bit. Keep it as it is because the word of God is perfect as it is. You know, you might have heard this, the phrase, a rose by any other name is still a rose. But we, we should still call it a rose in the sense of today's culture is trying to change words all the time, change the meaning of words so that it can suit their agendas. And we need to be so careful when it comes to the word of God that we keep it exactly as it is and pass it on to the next generation exactly as it is and don't change it in any way to suit our needs or to suit the culture or to suit those around us and to make ourselves look better to those who look upon us and call us bigoted or, or twisted in some way, that we can hold on fast to the gospel of God and pass it on to the next generation for that is what we've been called to do. C.H. Spurgeon, again, he says something along the lines of that. He says, um, should I remember it? He said, if, the whole, if a whole generation of the church died in its efforts to pass on the word of God, it would be little sacrifice. In other words, the sacrifice is still very small compared to making sure we pass on the message of God as it is. But Christ can keep this gospel alive. We need to remember that. He's the one who is has all the power. We don't need to put ourselves under so much pressure thinking, oh, if I say this wrong, if I do this wrong, if I, if I don't live this way, it's gonna, everything's going to be ruined. You know, we need to go out and pass on the message as best we can and trust in God that he will guard us and keep us. Trust that he's the one who can convert souls, not us. We're not, but we can't change anyone. You can't go before anyone and, and, and save them. Only God can change the heart. Only God can bring someone to salvation. All he calls us to do is to pass on the message untouched. And that's the same mission today as it was back in Paul's day and back in Timothy's day. But we can do it trusting in Christ, knowing that he keeps us and that until that day, when we come before him and our life is over on earth, but we have eternal life with him forever, until that day, we know that he will entrust and keep that gospel strong, but he will keep our souls within his hands as well, and that no one can pluck us out of his hands, and that we can trust in him with our whole souls, our whole beings, and live for him in faith. So the, the message really has a challenge. It's to pass on the message of Jesus Christ. That's a challenge for us as Christians, is to pass on that message, because that's what you're called to do to guard this good deposit, to have confidence in Jesus Christ alone, and to be a generation of lions where we go out and we're bold before him because we know that he holds us and keeps us and we can have confidence no matter what circumstance we're in because it's not self-confidence, it's Christ-confidence. 
It's not self-esteem. It's Christ-esteem, where we can trust in him forever because he is never changing, no matter what happens to us in this life, right until that day. And that's why Paul can have confidence. You know, I think it's amazing whenever we look at that phrase I was talking at the very start about self-confidence and self-esteem, where it really came from, I said about the 20th century, but really it came from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, when they walked with God, were trusting in him. But then what does Satan do as guys as a serpent? What did he do? He, he, he sells this lie to Adam and Eve and says, you know, you can trust in yourself. You can have confidence in yourself. You can be your own God. You take of the fruit and eat, and you will have a mind like him. And Paul, or sorry, Paul, Adam and, and Eve were tricked by this, and their, their pride was set in, and, and they took of the apple or the fruit, whatever it might have been, and they took of that fruit and sin entered the world because they believed that lie that they can have confidence in themselves and be their own gods. But let's place our confidence and our trust in him alone. Let's live for him alone, for he alone is the one who is able. So I'm just going to finish there. I'm going to finish with a wee quote from Martin Luther. It says, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. It's amazing. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I just want to thank you so much that we can have faith not in ourselves, confidence not in ourselves that one day is here and the next is gone, that can be changing like the winds that is only depending on our circumstances. But we can have faith in you, the immovable, immutable, all-powerful, all-loving God, that our faith can be a living, daring confidence in your grace, that it can be sure and certain that we can stake our lives on you, as Paul had done. Help us, Lord, to pass on the message of your word to those around us and all the opportunities we find ourselves in, but to pass it on unchanged, because we know it's the power of the word of God that can save souls. In your name, amen.